We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. All right, well, let's open up our Bibles tonight to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel 23, as we actually finish the book tonight, and you might think, well, wait a minute, there's chapter 24. Well, what happened when when I was teaching through this book, I skipped chapter 23 by accident. So someone afterwards, they said, hey, what's up? You know, they asked me, what's up? And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't even realize that I had skipped the chapter. And one of the things I do when I make a mistake is I blame it on God. You guys ever do that? <laughs> So I'm all thinking, oh, Lord, it's because you have something special. You know, that's why I messed up. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know. Well, I don't know. Here we are, chapter 23. We're going to finish this uh, chapter. And i got to tell you a story. Uh, this last uh, weekend, um, well, well, no, it was Monday. Monday. Did you guys enjoy your day off? Most of you here probably had the day off. And how many of you here did a barbecue? Set of curiosity. No, no car. We had carne asada. You didn't, huh? <laughs> Anyways, um, what happened was we had some friends over. It was kind of a last-minute thing, and uh, uh, they invited themselves over. And um, <laughs> it was cool, though. But what happened was something. You guys know how much I, I love my dog Chip, right? My little dog. Okay, but this day we we let him out, and uh, and just one of the the craziest things happened is uh, he bit one of the little kids, and it wasn't like you know he you know broke you know broke off their finger or anything like that. But uh, you know it just next thing you know this little precious beautiful little girl was crying because my dog that I love so much had just you know nipped her and I saw her finger and I saw the little teeth marks and. I looked at Chip and he was just like, you know, like, you know, he didn't do anything. And I'm, so I put him in his, in his, in his room and uh, I'll be honest with you. I was so angry with my dog. And I don't know if this is right. Maybe you guys can teach me on these things, but you know, I, I, I disciplined him. I, I tried to make the connection. You don't do that. This is what happens if you do. And, uh, and, um, I love Chip. I, I love my dog, but it's it's been very difficult. You guys gotta pray for me to forgive him. It's been three days now, and the first day that they know that I saw him, he was all wagging his tail. I'm like, what are you wagging your tail for? You know, and I let him outside to go to the restroom, but I didn't give him his treat. You know, normally I give him a treat in the morning, and then you know another day goes by, and it's been it's been a struggle, you know, for me to forgive Chip. And so pray for me, you know. I, I know eventually God will reestablish the relationship that we have, you know. But, you know, the Lord really ministered to me through that, believe it or not. Um, how, in one sense, we do what Chip does. And yet, how gracious God is with us. You know, um, the way that he's able to forgive us and the way that he's able to just reestablish that relationship you know, um, is just is just something that I think we don't really fathom the way that we should. 
But I pray that we would. I pray that even in today's study, as we go through the life of David and how, you know, we look at David, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes you look at David and you're like, wow, such a godly man. You know what? He was a sinner, a big time sinner, who, were it not for the grace of God, that just complete grace of God, he would not be somebody that we would be bragging on. And, and when you look at his life, I pray that you would not, that we would not glorify David, but that when we look at his life that was covered with grace, that we would glorify God and that we would even learn how, like we say in that song, how beautiful of a work that God has done in our lives. Because we're going to mess up. We're going to bite that you know, person over there. We might hurt them. And just that even makes... You know, all, and, and God... He loves you. That's the type of God that we have. He knows we're just dust, you know, and he's so compassionate with us. And so as we read this chapter right here, there's a lot of things in there, but one of the things that really stood out to me is how at the end of his life, David is able to say these wonderful things, and it's only because of the the grace that God had had given to him. And so one day when you die, you know, and, and we don't know. It could be a year from now, ten years from now. God might rapture us in three months. But when we die, you know, and, and, and I always, I'm a philosopher. I, when I went to college, I majored in philosophy. I'm always thinking, Lord, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we, you know, what's the meaning of life and all that stuff? And the Lord just reminded me again tonight in a fresh way that the reason we get together, we study his word, we want to you know, know the Lord, we want to bring him glory, we want to do good for people. But man, part of you know, studying this is that when you die, when our life is over, that we'll be able to say, I finished the race. Not everybody finishes, but I pray that we would be able to say, because of the things that I heard and the words of encouragement, the words of exhortation, the words of correction, that I finished the race. And whatever you do, you know, because some of you here might think, well, I'm no one special. Yes, you are. You are special. Everyone here has a race to run that's been given to you by God. And so my encouragement to you is, is to run it with, with all your might so that we can say things like, like David. Look at verse 1. 2 Samuel 23 says, Now, these are the last words of, of David. These are the last words of David. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm always fascinated by the last words, their final words. What did they say at the end of their lives? How about you guys? Have you ever like, oh, their final words? Real, sometimes it's real insightful. You know, sometimes it's not. You know, I read about uh, one gal, her name is Joan Crawford. Her, her last words were a profanity, which I can't repeat from the pulpit. And, and, and she said, don't you dare ask God to help me when her friend was praying for her. Imagine that, your last words, don't you dare ask God to help me. I read about another man, his, uh, his name is James French. And he was a convicted murderer who was sentenced to the electric chair. And the last words he said was, Hey, fellas, how about this for a headline for tomorrow's paper? French fries. Because I guess he was going to the electric chair. 
And I said, how dorky is that, man? I mean, your, your last words, you're going to stand before God? I mean, there's no words of repentance or remorse. How about Aleister Crawley? You guys know who he is? He was a renowned Satanist and, and, and just crazy writings of Satanism. His last words right before he died was, I am perplexed, Satan, get out. Why? Because Satan was coming in. You know, crazy things when you consider last words. Voltaire said, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell. Imagine that. Your last words. And then there, of course, there are those who were, you know, beautiful ways of finishing. John Knox, he uttered these words and then he died. He said, live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need not fear death. Love that. And then... Boom, he died. You know, David's last words here, we're going to see, were words of praise and recognition of the amazing things that God had done in and through his life. We're going to see their words of adoration, words of inspiration, and we're going to see their words of instruction for us, I think, in one sense that God would just work in our life and help us to finish well. And so again, these are are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. He kind of like gives a summary of of, uh, his life in in one sense, who he was. You know, uh, the son of Jesse that was his physical ancestry. doesn't really say much. It's the natural part of him. But then comes the supernatural part of him. Then comes his spiritual ancestry. He's the son of Jesse. Yeah, but look, it says right here, the, the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Yeah, David was the work of Jesse, his father, biologically, but he was the work of Almighty God spiritually, and God had raised him up from the shepherd of a few sheep to the king of Israel. You know, and it's an amazing story when you read his story, definitely a work of God. And something that's really interesting, you guys, is that David didn't lift a hand to lift himself up. You guys saw that, huh? As we went through the story, you know, he wouldn't touch God's anointed. He wouldn't touch Saul. And it was totally the Lord. And I love it when that happens. I love it when it's the Lord and you know it's the Lord. And all you're doing, you guys, all we have to do to be everything that God wants us to be is to be faithful where he has us. Did you know that? I mean, what, what are your responsibilities? What are your roles? Whatever it is, you know, when David went to the uh, the battle in First Samuel chapter 17, Eliab, his brother, was upset. And he said, what are you doing here, you know? Who, who'd you leave to take care of those few sheep? And so, you know, David, I don't, I don't know. I don't think he had a whole bunch of sheep that he was shepherd over. It was, it was a few sheep, but he was faithful there. And then God, God just lifted him up. Not that position, you know, 
is everything. You guys know what I'm talking about. But God put him in a place that just changed the world, that influenced the world, that even through his lineage, the Savior would come. And I really want to encourage you. The Bible says, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. So wherever you are with your family, with that, you might consider it a little ministry, The day will come if you're faithful where God says, hey, you're faithful in the little things. Here, let me entrust to you greater things. Now, the interesting thing about that, too, is that Jesus spoke those words about those who would then enter into the millennial kingdom. You know, and you might not be the king of Israel on planet Earth, but if you're faithful, then one day when you're there in the millennial kingdom, man, your responsibilities... For God's glory will be absolutely amazing. God raised him up. He says, this is who I am. I was a son of Jesse. Not much there. But, he says right here, the the Lord raised me up. And you guys know, right? Psalm 75, 6 and 7. Exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west or the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. It's the Lord who does the work. It's so beautiful. And that's why we just want to stay close to him. Ezekiel 17, 24, it says, And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree and exalted the low tree, dried up the green tree and made the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. And so I want to encourage you to be faithful where you are. Sometimes people trip out. They're like, man, I don't get it. You know, why, why aren't I there or doing this or whatever? And then my encouragement to you is just to kind of like, okay, just examine, well, what exactly is God calling you to do now? What are you, what are you committed to now? Are you faithful in that? And you have to really examine your life. You know, David knew it wasn't his power or strength or wisdom It wasn't him, really. It was the Lord. You know, there's that infinite difference, you know, between talent and anointing, between man's might and God's might. Look again, he says, Thus says David, the son of Jesse, Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. You know, and there's that anointing, that anointing that that only comes from God. You know, you can be the most talented musician in the whole wide world. But if you don't have that anointing from God to lead worship or that anointing from God, then you're just going to entertain people. You won't be used by God to usher someone into the kingdom. You know, you could be the greatest communicator in the world. And, you know, maybe you teach and you've been teaching at the universities But it doesn't mean that you can then come into the church and, oh, I'm going to be this great spiritual teacher. No, there has to be that anointing of God on your life. You know, to where God gives weight to the words. God saves people through the foolishness of the message that's preached, right? I mean, it's it's the anointing of God. You know that scripture, we have it on our bulletin, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. The Holy Spirit. And that's why it's important, you guys. I want to encourage you, don't live a life of disobedience because that then, you know, what it does is it grieves the Spirit 
And don't, don't live a life of doubt because that quenches the Spirit. You obey the Lord the best that you can and believe in Him that He can do anything. And then the Holy Spirit is so cool. He just anoints and He chooses whom He uses, whom He appoints. He anoints. You don't have to worry. You're like, well, I'm not able to do that. Join the club. None of us are. You know, none of us are worthy. None of us are able. But if you make yourself available to God, then His Holy Spirit will anoint you to do whatever it is that He's called you to do. And there is nothing that God can't do through a life that is surrendered and completely committed to Him. And here's David at the end of his life, and he's just praising God for the work that the Lord had done. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed. Notice he says of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. You know, we all have like two parts to us. Part of us is a Jacob and part of us is an Israel. And I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but Jacob, the name means hill catcher, conniver, manipulator, you know, just doing things in the flesh. And then there's Israel, which means governed by God. And I don't know about you, but I, I think a lot of times I feel like I'm, I, I'm more of a Jacob than I am Israel. You know, we fail the Lord, we mess up. And you know, when you mess up, the enemy comes in and he says, well, then you don't belong to God. Then you don't belong in the church. You don't, you don't belong in the ministry. And, and he just sort of takes out the, the air from your sails. And, and, uh, and, you know, I'm not saying just go ahead and, and, and disobey, but I am saying that you'll never be worthy. And so that grace has to be strong. You have to know who he is. He's the God of Jacob. And he's the God of Israel. He's your God when you, when you fall. Because he'll be right there to lift you up. And he's your God when you succeed. Because he'll be right there to keep you humble. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Israel. David, in the end, he knew who he was, that God had raised him up. It was totally the Lord anointed him Anointed him to be the, the soldier, the king, and also, like he says right there, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The sweet psalmist of Israel. You know, David, and I always trip out on this man, how he was such a, an amazing soldier. I mean, you know, some of you guys here, uh, we just honored you that served in, in our military. And, and man, these guys work so hard, you know, and we've seen some of the, the movies of these guys clashing, you know, and, and with the cavalry and the swords. And, you know, imagine, you know, David with this with this sword of Goliath. And, yeah, and you, I don't want to get anybody tripping out, but imagine he's cutting off people's heads, man. I mean, he's just stabbing, beating, fighting, killing thousands of people. And then so one day he's got the sword and the next day he's got the harp. Can you visualize him on the harp, man? <laughs> you know, and, and you, so a lot of times guys think, well, you can't be both. Either you're mm, one of those guys or, or you're like, oh, you know, like a, a musician, right? 
And that's why I think we learn a lot from David, man, because he really challenges the men to be both, to be warriors and to be worshipers. This, and, and I even trip out on it. Why did he call himself the sweet psalmist of Israel? You know, and there's just a sensitivity there that just blows you away. That in the end, when he gives his life a synopsis, when he gives his life a summary, the way that he describes it is just so amazing to me. You know, he shares, man, this is who I am. I'm, I'm natural and I, I'm supernatural by God. I'm appointed and anointed. And I'm a leader in music. I'm a leader of men. And so he says in verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me, He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. You know, some people say, well, he his or his last words, and part of it is to uh, to give to his son, Solomon. And, and it's probably true, you know. Um, and it's just so cool the way you see the adoration uh, and then the instruction. And he, now he talks to leaders. And he's not just saying them randomly. He's saying, you know, I've learned a lot of lessons in life. And as I'm about to die, these are my last words. Let me talk to you leaders now. Leaders, a couple of things that are so important. Number one, if you're going to rule over men, make sure you're fair. You know, and it's a drag. It really is a drag when you get leaders who are not fair, who are partial. He says, make sure that yet you're fair, you're just, and then secondly, make sure that, that you fear God. And these are two things that leaders have to have in their heart. You know, we read that in Exodus 18.21, the Lord said, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers. We read the same thing in Second Chronicles 19.7, Now therefore let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. You know, very rarely will you find a leader who stripped himself of self-interests, of a desire to be liked by men or be re-elected by them. Very rarely will you find a man who's not showing partiality to his political party or lists of lobbyists. You know, most men who are ruling, unfortunately, have been, you know, corrupted by the corruption, so to speak, and they're not just, they don't care, they're not fair, and they don't fear the God who made them. But for leaders, this is what he's saying, you know, and because we can be, show partiality to friends or even as a pastor, well, they give a lot of money to the church or whatever. I've known them longer than I've known them or, you know, she, you know he's handsome or she's pretty or whatever the case may be. And God just says, no, as a leader, you can't have that in your heart. Now the Bible says in Psalm 36, verse 1, David wrote this to the chief musician, Psalm of David, a servant of the Lord, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. Here's their problem. There is no fear of God before his eyes. 
That's why they're, they're so wicked. And so Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. You know, it's important that we have that fear of God. It's important that we rule and we're fair with men. And of course, this applies to all rulers. It can be the president or the pastor, the governor, the mayor, the legislator, the boss at work, even the head of the home. We need to be fair, and we need to fear God. You know, as a parent, I can push my kids around. As a pastor, I might be tempted to make my will abound. But, you know, I'll tell you what stops me dead in my tracks. It's the fear of God. And I hope, man, that it stops you dead in your tracks as well. You know, afraid, in one sense, that if I say this, or if I do that, then God will discipline me, God will remove me, God might even kill me. You know, that happens. Nadab and Abihu, remember Leviticus chapter 10, they offered profane fire to God, they were probably drunk, and they kind of lacked that discernment. Oh, it's no big deal. We're just serving the Lord. Boom, God killed them. Just to show everybody how he feels. And then later on, when Moses was talking to Aaron, he says, Don't cry, don't cry. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. There has to be that fear of God, right? We read the same thing in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira were there and the church was just starting and you guys remember the story and they were saying hey we're giving to God all of our money we're giving to God this but they were lying now they didn't have to give it all to God but they said they were but they weren't so what happened God killed them man and they both died Ananias and Sapphira and so the Bible says in Acts chapter 5 verse 11 that great fear fell on the church and so there's got to be that balance, you know. There's got to be that balance. So we're going to see it as we go through. And as we're ruling, I pray that we would even have more of a fear. David here is sharing words that are important because he knows that if the leaders are right, then the nation will be blessed, right? And so he goes on and says something interesting in verse 4 and 5. He says, And he shall be like the light of the morning, when the sun rises, a morning without clouds like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Now, I don't know about your Bibles, the word he, the, 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 I don't know, some have it capitalized saying this is in reference to God. Others say this is in reference to uh, the leader who's right on. I think I'm going to lean more towards this being in reference to God, you know. Because when we're ruling in the fear of God, look what God does. He's like this light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds. And so it's a real beautiful, bright day, you know, and, and that's what we need. Like here's, you know, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And God just comes in and we're going to see this is kind of a, a picture of his word. I mean, it's raining, the grass is, is growing, the sun is shining, 
And uh, we know in Isaiah chapter 55, it talks about that, right? That whole thing, it's all right there. The rain, God's word comes down like rain. It doesn't return void. And God's word is a light. And so when the Lord comes in, this is who God is. And there's this great fruit and the grass starts growing. You know, it's beautiful when you look at, at the Lord. And David says, well, that's why we've got to rule in the fear of God. You know, let the, the day dawn, man. Let it be bright. Let it be the, the rain coming down and just the grass. Don't you guys like it when your grass is green? Yeah, I remember one time. I, 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 you know, I've learned something, you guys, and I've learned this over years. You want to know what will get your grass green? Water. I tell you, man. And you're like, oh, you know, you throw all this other stuff on it, chemicals on it. And you know what? Yeah, I guess you can. But I just notice that if I water my grass and I just soak it, I soak it. And it doesn't take long. It just gets green. And the same thing with, with the Word of God. You know, saturate yourself in the Scriptures. Rule by the Word of God. You know, let the Lord rule through His Word, the scepter of His Word. That's what John Stott said. Jesus rules the church by the scepter of His Word. And when we are in the Word and we're making decisions based on the Word and we're letting the Word be a working Word in us and a living Word in us, then it's so amazing how life, it kind of gets green. That's who God is. But, but notice what David says right here in verse 5. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? Now, verse 5 is real interesting. How many of you here have an NIV? NIV, can you guys sit in the back? No, I'm just joking. I'm totally messing with you. NIV, maybe you have uh, NLT. How many of you have an NLT? I'm just curious. All right, it's all right. We still love you. But, um, you know, they're, 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 they say something totally different. They, they say, well, God's chosen my house. No, the King James and New King James it, it has it accurately. It says, although my house is not so with God. And, you're, and that's a trippy verse. To be honest with you, you're like, well, what's up with that? And, and I think that in one sense what David was saying is, is something that I think we can all like, identify with. If you're honest, Lord, I'll tell you what, I see how you are, but I don't have it all together, Lord. And if I could take a video camera into your house, how many of you here you know, would be embarrassed? I know I, I would. Yeah, but you're the pastor. Yeah, my wife says the only reason he made me the pastor is because otherwise I wouldn't read my Bible. That's what she says. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know, but it's like saying that my house is not so with, with God. I, I don't have it all together. And what we find, you guys, is the lesson of grace. See, and in the end, uh, when we see the honesty of David, God gets the glory, not David. Because what happens when we do things like this? We're like, oh, he, he's so good. And, and, you know, he's just, man, he never sins. Do you know anybody like that? Do you have any, anybody on your pedestal of Christianity that you say they never sin? Oh, yes, they do. They do. Everybody does. You just don't see it. 
And, and just because they hide it well, you know what? That might actually make them worse. Did you know that? Bottom line is, if we're, if we're on this side of time, we're, we're going to blow it. And then I just got to let the cat out of the bag. We don't have it all together. And if, and if you start thinking you have it all together, then I tell you what, you are going to just fall flat on your face. Because God's going to show you who you really are until you just admit. And so, you know, what David is saying is that my house, you know, we're not all there yet. Now, I'm not saying, you know, just don't try. Of course, we always try to hit the bullseye, but we're not going to. From what I understand, my son told me that the best free throw shooter of all time is Ray Allen. And I think his percentage is like maybe 90%. So think about that. You know, nine times out of ten, that's the best. I mean, we're going to blow it. But here's the thing, and this is where it all we all have to come to as Christians. Look at the grace of God. He says, although my house is not so with God, here it is, you guys, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? You see, Being a Christian means that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross for your sins. And and therefore you have this deal with him. You have this covenant with him. This covenant of salvation. This covenant of forgiveness. This covenant of freedom. You know that, that when he sees you, even though we still blow it, and from a positional standpoint, when he sees you, he sees no sin. And he casts your sin as far as the east is from the west. He puts them behind his back. He remembers them no more. And right here, and there's a lot here, David is just saying, my whole, my, all my salvation, it's there, it's ordered, it's secure. You know, it's a beautiful thing. You know how the Lord would work through David. And, and when we talk about your salvation, we talk about not only you going to heaven, but we talk about all the things along the way. When we talk about your salvation, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We talk about all the beautiful things that God is going to do with your life while you live on earth and during the millennial kingdom and then there in glory in heaven forever and ever. That's all part of your salvation. All the things along the way. And David knew the promises that his descendants would have the throne, that one day the Messiah would come through his lineage. I mean, just amazing things. Even though his house was not all that. And now, what that should do to us, not when you understand that, what that should do to us is just make us love him more. Make us... Um, just so grateful for his unconditional, unchanging, everlasting love that he has lavished upon our life through Christ. It shouldn't move us to sin more. It should move us to sin less. And that's what David is saying at the end of his life. He's all, I, I understand how it works. You know, some people, they never, they never get there. At the end of their life, they're still engaged in a works relationship with God. And it's sad. 
It's sad. David here, he sees, well, because I I gave my life to Christ, I'm saved. Because I placed my faith in the covenant that God has revealed, I'm saved. That's all. But if you choose not to, you're like, no, I don't want God. I don't want Jesus. Real simple, he says in verse (laughs) 6. But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away. Because they cannot be taken with hands, but the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. You know, the the thorns are connected with the curse. And it's interesting, earlier he talks about the rain and the sun going down and and the grass is coming up and it's kind of like it's going to be a fruitful, beautiful plant. Now you have thorns. What's the difference? Jesus. Do you want Jesus? Do you have Jesus? Then you have a covenant with God. You have forgiveness. You have freedom. But if you you don't want him, then this is your future for the rebellious. You know, to the guy, he can't, even, he can't even pick up that one thing of thorns, man. He's going to be pushed away and right here, utterly burned with fire in their place. And so, it's so cool the way that David, in the end of his life, he shares the gospel. That's what he does. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It hasn't changed. Here's David, 1000 B.C. Here we are, you know, 2000 years after Christ sharing the same simple message. Beautiful. Real, real cool. You see, we first of all, in looking at this, we see David, the mighty man of God. And then real quick, you guys, because I know you want to go to in and out afterwards, right? We're going to look real quick at the mighty men of God. Um, and I pray that, that you guys, we would make this list. Look what we read here in verse 8. He says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had, Josheb, Bathshebeth, the Tachmanite, the chief among the captains. He was called Adino, the Esnite, because he had killed, notice this, 800 men at one time. Okay. Now, I know last week when you were here, we talked about how numbers aren't important. And, and, they're, and they're not, like, you know, important if your motive is wrong. But, you know, to kill 800 men, the Bible says... Is an individual who, who, what I would say, has great courage. Great courage. And if you have great courage, how many demons are you going to kill? Or how many lives might you make a difference in if you love them truly, sincerely, genuinely, maybe even one at a time? And you defeat the enemy who is coming against them. This guy right here, he was one of the mighty men. And an 800 at one time, boom. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. And so, again, you can picture the scene. All these guys went that way. They all retreated. They all gave up. And there's a lot of guys, unfortunately, like that. They just... I don't know why. They just give up and they retreat. But here, this guy right here, he arose 
And he attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hands stuck to the sword. And notice here, the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. They didn't really come to help, man. They just said, okay, we're going to reap the benefits of it. And so there's a lesson there. And we're going to see in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that God wants us to be good soldiers. And, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we've got to wage the war. We're in a war. Joshua chapter 5, he's the captain of the of the army of the Lord of hosts. That's who Jesus is. He's our general. We're soldiers. And so when everyone else retreats, this mighty man, he rises up and, you know, he defeats the enemy. He holds the ground for God. And I love what it says right there. His hand stuck to the sword. So can you visualize that? I mean, I don't know how he did it. Maybe he grabbed some tape, duct tape. And, you know, I don't know how, but somehow he just did not let go of the sword. And what's the sword? Symbolic of the word. And I love that. You guys, don't let go of the word. Hold on to his promises. I mean, stand on them. Because you will defeat the enemy with the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. It's the word of God. I love that. Then that's what we need to do. And through that, the Lord brings about a great victory. And I tell you what, and there you are, and there you are, and there's that guy, and there's that gal right there, and they're just sticking to the sword. They're not retreating. And all the other people, they reap the benefits of your courage and your obedience. Think about it. Wouldn't it be difficult to stay there and fight when everyone else is leaving? Come on, 300 guys? There's only one way that I would stay there to fight is if I knew the Lord was with me. And that's how they did it. Right? The Lord brings about these great victories. You guys, this is what a Chuck Smith is. This is what these guys are in church history. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And I don't even like lentils. I don't know if you guys like lentils, but you know they're all defending this piece of ground. So the people fled from the Philistines. There they are, fleeing again. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defeated it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Just don't back down, right? Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, and he was just, you know, so thirsty, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, think about that, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. <laughs> Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? And therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. And, and you know, when you read that right there, it's kind of a, a neat story. David was the king. David was the anointed of the Lord. These guys were there to support him. And I love that. I love that loyalty. I mean, I'm not... 
You know, to me, it's like, okay, I've got my pastor. I've got guys that are my friends, and, and he's thirsty. He's thirsty. And so, man, you, you just risk your life. And you bust through the army of the Philistines, and you get them a little bit of water. That's how much you love them. But David wouldn't drink it, obviously. And I, and I, and I think that part of it is because if he did drink it, they might do it again. <laughs> So he just wanted to let them know, listen, I'm not going to do this. You guys, I don't want you doing that. And so he, he poured it as a drink offering to the Lord. But, you know, there, it's still chronicled in the Bible because God, I think, was impressed by these guys. The way that they were, were just loyal to David. And, and then there's Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of another three, and he lifted his spear against 300 men killed them and, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of three? Therefore he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. How many of you here would like to attain to the first three? In the Lord's, oh Lord, I tell you what. And I was thinking about this. I'm like, Lord, I don't know. Man, the Lord is saying it's not too late. Not too late, you know, to be that kind of a soldier. And then there's Benaiah, verse 20. He was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabziel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Okay, now stop and think about that. Killing a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Think about that. You know what that is? That's the worst enemy under the worst circumstances. And you prevail. You know, I don't know, one day you might be there. You know, and I don't want to embarrass our sister Margaret, but I remember, and I I wasn't there, but, but she was there one day. She had a stroke. And, you know, when you're in that situation, you could give up. But she didn't. And she learned how to talk again. And she learned how to walk again. Now she serves the Lord like crazy. The worst circumstances, what will they be? In the pit against a lion on a snowy day. With the Lord, man. With the Lord. You don't give up. Never give up. Right? Verse 21, he killed the Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff. And he wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Now, isn't that cool? That is so cool, man. All I got is a shepherd's staff. That's all I need, you know? And he just goes on. And, you know, he was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three. And, and David appointed him over his guard. And, and then he goes on, and, and he's got this list of a lot, a lot of interesting names. And I know that you're not interested in all these names, right? You'd be like, Manny, please don't read all those names, right? And that's cool. But the Lord put him there. I mean, you know what? To the Lord, you know, there is a list. There's a list of names of mighty men of valor in his kingdom. And he knows them by name. I want to make that list. 
you know, and there's some interesting individuals here that we can touch on, you know, uh, one of them being the uh, Hithophel's son, you know, the the father of Bathsheba. He's he's in the list. But I would want to close with this last guy. Uh, we read in verse 39, and Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. And you're like, wait a minute, where have I heard that name before, Uriah the Hittite? And and you guys know, huh? You know, chapter 11, man. When David was 50 years old, and he fell into adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And then she, she conceived, she had a child. And so what does David do? David brings Uriah home, back to the, the house, you know, to the, to the palace, back to his house. Go sleep with your wife. Try to cover up his sin. But, you know, Uriah said, how could I do that? How could I go and have sex with my wife when Joab and the guys are out there on the front lines on the field? I mean, when I read that, I don't know about you, but I'm just thinking, wow, what an amazing soldier. He wouldn't even go home and be with his wife. And then David got him drunk. And, you know, usually when you get drunk, and hopefully it's been a long time for you, but, you know, I mean, when you get drunk, you do what you really want to do, right? (laughs) You flirt with all these girls or whatever it might be. You know, no, man, Uriah, he still stayed. He didn't go with his wife. That's who he really was. So what does David do? He says, okay, I can't. you know, this guy's not going to cover up his sin, my sin. And so he sends him out and he tells Joab to put him in the heat of the battle on the front lines and then retreat. And he killed him. And yet he was one of his mighty men. It's the last guy that's mentioned on the list. And I'm like, Lord, why? And what did the Lord say? Grace. David, oh, you're such a a neat guy. No. God is such an awesome God. Remember, man, the best of men are men at best. There is an infinite difference between God and man. And, you know, looking at at David's life, I just think, wow, what a story of grace. Lord, let my life be a story of grace. I want to close real quick with with actually a true story, and I think it illustrates grace in a pretty neat way. There was a teacher who taught an evangelism course. And at the end of the course, he would distribute the exam to all the students with the specific instructions to read it all the way through before beginning to answer any questions. This instruction was given to them verbally, and it was written on the exam as well. And so as the students read the test, it became unquestionably clear that the test would be absolutely impossible to pass. The further they read, the worse it got. About halfway through, as the students are reading through their exams, you can hear people groaning, oh, you know, this is crazy. And you could just hear it through with the whole class. And then, however, this is cool, on the last page, there was a note. And the note said, you have a choice. 
you can either complete the exam as given or sign your name at the bottom. And in doing so, you'll receive an A for the exam. Now, which would you do? Sign my name, right? Well, that's how it is when you become a Christian. Jesus has done the work. Jesus died on the cross for all your sins. All you got to do is sign. Give him your life. Give him your heart. It's interesting that the teacher here, he shared that not everybody would sign uh, their their paper. <laughs> you know, that um, some of the reactions he said he received over the years is some students would then take the exam without reading it all the way through. They would sweat it out for the entire two hours of class and then they reach the last page and they say, oh, I did that in vain. Others would read the first two pages and then they would get angry and they say, this is too difficult and they you know, just storm out of the room. Um, they, they basically never realized what was available. Some even read the entire test, he said, including the note at the end, but they decided to take the exam anyways. They didn't want any gifts. I don't want any gifts, right? And he said they wanted to earn their grade. Guess what they got? A big fat F. You guys, we can't pass this on our own. What we need to do is a sign. Jesus, thank you for this gift, this A that we get. And what is it? It's a story of amazing grace. David experienced it. And I and I just pray that, that you would live. Don't let Elvis Presley, you know, take Graceland, okay? Don't. Let's live in Graceland. Let's do that. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word, Lord, and what an awesome God you are. As we see David, the mighty man of God, but then all these mighty men of God, Lord, they're, they're illustrations, uh, inspirations for us, Lord. And so thank you for the power of your word. May you bless your beautiful children here tonight and help us, Lord, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I do pray if there is anyone here that doesn't know you, Lord, that's not a Christian and never really given you their life, that tonight would be the night by your Holy Spirit, Lord, where they would sign, they would sign their name, just saying, I, 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 I turn from my sins and I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Do that work, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.